How are music therapists changing the lives of people in Canada? What is the latest research and trends? You are tuned into the Canadian Music Therapy Podcast, and we will explore these questions with our guests today. Let's get started. Welcome to the Canadian Music Therapy Podcast. We are your hosts, Adrian and Kathy. Today, our guest, Dr. Amy Clements-Cortez, is here to share about her research and clinical work, which has had a global impact in advancing the discipline of music therapy. She also delves into relationship completion and palliative care, along with sharing her vision for the future of music therapy. And here's a little more about Amy. She is an assistant professor in the Faculty of Music at the University of Toronto. She's an instructor and supervisor at Wilfrid Laurier University and academic coordinator and instructor in interdisciplinary studies at Ryerson Chang School. She's a credentialed music therapist, registered psychotherapist, and fellow in the Bonnie Method of Guided Imagery and Music, as well as in Neurologic Music Therapy. Amy is Research and Ethics Chair of the World Federation of Music Therapy and Managing Editor of the Music and Medicine Journal. Welcome to the podcast, Amy. We are so excited to have you join us today. Thanks so much for inviting me. I'm really excited to be here as well. Oh, that's great. Uh, Before our interview today, I was having a look at your website, your business notes by Amy, and going through all of your research and publications and scrolling and scrolling. And I was like, wow, you have done so much work. And it just is so consistent over the years of just contributing in such a meaningful way. And I'm wondering if you could tell us more about some of your significant research studies. That's very kind of you. Thank you so much, Kathy. I really have a very um, broad range of research interests. Um, So I did start initially um, researching in palliative care. So that's been one of the biggest areas where I have contributed. Um, I think we might talk more about that later, about relationship completion. Um, But then I've also been uh, very much invested in studying um, how music and fibroacoustic therapy can help persons that are diagnosed with a cognitive impairment, specifically dementia or Alzheimer's disease. Uh, So that's been a very significant um, contribution. So we were looking at 40 hertz um, to see if we could stimulate the brains of persons with Alzheimer's disease because persons with Alzheimer's disease actually have depleted levels of 40 hertz brain activity. And so that is actually needed for the brain to communicate um, with itself. So um, in this pilot study that I conducted with some of my colleagues, including Dr. Hadia Honan, Dr. Lee Bartel, we looked at um, using this particular uh, sound stimulation. And what we found was that in only six sessions that people, scores increased by almost 0.05 each time they took the cognitive test. So really indicating that perhaps over time that this could help with maintaining or slowing the rate of cognitive decline. Um, What we found uh, thematically was that people were more alert, they were more talkative, they reminisced a little bit more after having the treatment. Um, So that was really a very exciting groundbreaking pilot. Um, And since that time, I've continued to do some smaller studies with respect to vibroacoustic therapy, um, not only with persons with Alzheimer's, but also now um, with varying types of dementia. And I'm very fortunate to be part of a group with international colleagues um, from around the world. So we have uh, Melissa 
Watts from Spain. We have Dr. Ayelet Dasa from Israel, Dr. Kendra Ray, Dr. Connie Tomeno from the States, among others. And we have been collaborating um, over almost two years now. We will continue our work uh, for the International Association for Music and Medicine. Um, we are looking at best practices for music, um, music therapists, but also for caregivers with respect to using music in dementia care. And Dr. Susan Hanser is also part of that international collaboration with some other colleagues as well from uh, South America. Wow. Yeah, so that- That's amazing. Uh, well, it's, you know, I feel really fortunate to be part of that group and to be really advancing work um, in that area. Mm-hmm. And so practically, um, in terms of this therapy, what would that look like to the client? So would you play a piece of music at that hurts? Yeah, great, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure, like, what does it actually look like, you know, in the study? So people sit on um, a device, which actually is uh, has speakers fitted throughout it. So you feel a bit of the vibration, and then you hear this specific track that we've created at 40 hertz. So they listen to that. So it's not music, but it's a, you feel kind of a vibration. Um, and so they sit on the device for about 30 minutes. Um, and while they're on the device, they can be doing other things as well. So that's pretty neat. And then um, in, on the other hand, more music therapy related, uh, my other research has looked at the benefits of singing uh, for persons with dementia. And um, so I had a multi-phase study which looked at at singing for health and wellness in persons with cognitive impairment. And then in my last phase with persons um, with attending with a caregiver. Mm. So that could be attending the choir with a spouse or a child. Um, and I'm really excited to be working with uh, Dr. Frank Russo um, as a collaborator in his um, very large uh, grant that we just got $2.5 million, which is going to look at, yeah, it's exciting. Eh? It's <laughs> going to be looking at um, music. Uh, and singing for persons with communication disorders. So, um, so for persons with aphasia, et cetera. So um, that's a large grant that will span up until 2028, I believe. Oh, that's amazing. Congratulations. Yeah, well, that, that is Dr. Rousseau, and yeah. I'm just happy to be <laughs> part of that collaboration. with him Absolutely. Oh, that's, that's just wonderful. I just love the work that you're doing. And so can you share with us more about your work with the World Federation of Music Therapy? Sure. So I was fortunate, I think, in 2011 to start working voluntarily with the World Federation as a clinical commissioner. Well, I started actually as a committee member and then became uh, the clinical commissioner. Um, so in that role, I was looking at um, helping different um, individuals from different parts of the globe where music therapy um, has not really been a formalized profession or people that were wanting to gain skills, learn how they could get a program started, etc. Um, and looking also at standards of practice. Um, so in that role, I also helped, um, which is actually a great resource for anyone, it's free on the website, um, that we started uh, folk music, we started um, rhythms, uh, so you can actually go to the website and find music from different cultures, different rhythms uh, to help music therapists out, you know, when we were working with so many individuals um, from different cultures. Uh, so that was, that was really fun. And then we, I also started the International Internship Registry where 
um, people that are looking to study abroad, you know, voluntarily to get clinical experience could connect with others. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I transferred. I was very lucky to be the president um, for three years and then the past president. Um, and in that role, you know, it was wonderful. I mean, what a wonderful experience to, to interact with people from around the world mm -hmm. um, and to just help advance the profession of music therapy, help advance um, the way it is practiced in different parts of the globe to really take into consideration mm -hmm. all the different knowledges that we have um, and, and bringing all that together. It's very, very exciting. We worked on a strategic plan during that time to really help us grow our audience, um, really get more you know, resources on the website for free. Um, and as we all know, these nonprofit <laughs> organizations, mm -hmm. we have very little cash flow. So everyone is a volunteer. And, but there are tons of resources there. Mm -hmm. um, right now, I am the research and ethics chair. And um, so we are looking at developing a code of ethics, mm -hmm. which is very challenging <laughs> to consider as a global, you know, a global code of ethics. Uh, so we're, we're, it's taking long time to actually work through this because we're just thinking of kind of broad, overarching principles that would apply mm -hmm. around the world. Mm -hmm. And a free resource, again, for music therapists on the website, there are um, research videos. So each year, we, I've been picking about three or four researchers to highlight their work. And you can see those videos on the World Federation YouTube channel. So if anyone knows of a researcher, <laughs> you can contact me because we want to get the word out about people's research um, and really research from around the globe. Wow, that's really cool. And the website you were referring to is the World Federation of Music Therapy website where all the free resources are. Okay, that's great. And I just wanted to ask a question about the uh, International Internship Registry that you were speaking about. So I know... Um, some of our listeners are actually just graduating school or in school right now or maybe looking for internships. So would they go to that website to uh, potentially apply as an international intern? Yeah, that's a great question. So there's it's a so it's kind of a, a list of um, you know people that they can contact. So they mm. would have to contact the particular individual um, in that respective country. I, I, I will, you know, <laughs> let people know it is not easy to do. It can be done, but it mm -hmm. does take a lot of planning ahead because there are things like visas and mm -hmm. insurance and other things that have to be um, acquired before, of course, taking on. Excellent. Thank you for that. Amy, one thing that out of all of the things that you've shared already, but one thing that you did a few years ago was write a beautiful book. <laughs> Voices of the Dying and Bereaved Music Therapy Narratives, along with Sarah Klink. And I really value that book and appreciate it and um, share it with anyone who, who studies with me who's in an internship placement. So really appreciate that contribution as well to the, to the body of knowledge and, and really important in, in the field of hospice and palliative care, where of course you've done a lot of work yourself and that very first um, research you were talking about in relationship completion in palliative care, music therapy. So we'd love to hear more about that and, and perhaps even a story if you have one that you're able to share with us. Sure. I mean, relationship completion is really, I think, my most significant contribution and the one that is nearest and dearest to me. 
um, as I started to work in palliative care, I knew that we could help with pain. We could help with so many things. And there was evidence to suggest that we could. There's a Cochrane review. But something that really had not been explored is this concept of when emotions are brought to the surface, how do we put some closure to them or feel that there's a sense that we've expressed what we need to others? So uh, Dr. Ira Bjork talks about five sentiments being, thank you, I love you, please forgive me, I forgive you, and goodbye. But these five sentiments help a person to communicate so that not that the relationship is closed. It doesn't mean that it is over. Sometimes people confuse the terminology, but rather that it's come to a place where you've expressed those important things. And so you've really put some kind of completion to it. <laughs> you can't find a better word for that. Um, so here in the, in the research, uh, the initial uh, research study looked at what is this experience like? So it was a phenomenological study, um, which involved inpatients in palliative care, as well as their um, companions, if they were part. Uh, so one of the near and dear um, cases to me was uh, Gloria and, and Jack. So Gloria was a 63-year-old uh, female that was dying of cancer. And her husband, Jack, would be at um, her bedside every day, sometimes sleeping there overnight. They didn't have any children. They had a very small circle of uh, friends, but actually no family because they immigrated uh, to Canada when they were in their 20s. And so music therapy, she was originally referred because she had pain and trouble falling asleep. And so I was using music to help um, her to have relaxation experiences and journeys and music to help her fall asleep. But it became very obvious that they were very much in denial about what was happening. So he would go maybe um, to get a coffee when I would have, you know, a session at the very beginning. And she would say, you must think I'm crazy, like I know I'm dying. And when I would see him in the hallway, he would also say that I know that she's dying. But they would never talk to each other about it. And they would, you know, one would say, oh, next year when you come home, next year we'll go to the opera, next year we'll go here. Um, and so I talked to them about, about the study and they agreed to participate. Um, and so what we did was we had a time we, where I would, well, I would come and he was part, Jack was part of all the sessions. I would come, sing our, our opening song. And these two were, they were very uh, much classical music lovers and, and had a lot of specific repertoire that, that they wanted me to perform. So I, I would have to practice. <laughs> it wasn't my typical clients where you play whatever you want. So I would prepare music that they asked for, do a check-in, um, and then Jack would leave the room. And what we chose to do was um, a musical autobiography. So we looked at all the significant stories uh, in their lives and then picked a song to go with that story, or uh, we wrote songs uh, for the stories that didn't have or for the stories that there was no people's song. Uh, so, for example, um, Jack had surprised Gloria to go uh, to Paris for an anniversary. So part of the uh, autobiography includes La Vie en Rose. Um, he also teased her a lot because she loved Elvis. And he thought that, you know, maybe that wasn't as important music as some of the other music. So they had this banter between them and part of the autobiography includes Can't Help Falling in Love. And then she wrote beautiful pieces, one being Thank You for Loving Me, where she expressed those sentiments. 
because she said it's so important to me that I that he knows how much I love him because who else would do this for someone? And I was very fortunate that my participants allowed me to record all of the sessions. So everything is, in my opinion, very authentic because um, I transcribed everything. And in the writing of the research and case studies, all of their words are what present the cases. So it's not me um, as the researcher. And I think that's really important. And I sought out this because I wanted the voices of dying persons to be represented. Because often we ask everybody ask the caregiver. We don't ask the person that's dying. Um, and so that inspired me uh, with my colleague, Sarah Klink, uh, because I was fortunate to work with her, an amazing music therapist, um, and, and to write Voices of the Dying and Bereaved. And I'm going to put plug in for my new book, which is coming out this year which is guidelines uh, for relationship completion in palliative care music therapy. Wonderful. I had no idea. That sounds, that's brilliant. And again, um, tying all the strings together of everything that you're doing, Amy, you really are creating resources, you know, for music therapists internationally and, and giving guidelines to help music therapists facilitate the kind of, beautiful stories like like Jack and Gloria's you know and so important for them um, in their journey together in our last few minutes I'm sure you have a lot to say about this we'd love to know what your vision is for the future of music therapy here in Canada well I definitely think that um, there's things I think globally but in Canada as well that have to change, right? There's a lot of systemic issues in healthcare, mm. even in our own profession. So I think really infusing, as an educator, I really try to, from the very beginning, when I meet the students, to really infuse this. How do we build an anti-oppressive practice? How do we ensure equity, diversity, and inclusion is part of our practice, as part of our discipline? So I really would like to see more advocacy. I think we are making great strides. And while the pandemic has been unfortunate and caused a lot of hardship there are good things that have come out of it one of those being the awareness of music and help us how music yes. we saw the early footage of the in the pandemic of people singing in italy on their balconies and connecting with others and so it, the time is is now to really be building on that momentum to get music therapists into more uh, healthcare settings the first area where I think is just necessary is that there should be a music therapist in every long-term care home. It's essential, and therapeutic recreation is mandated to be in those places, and we need to get there. We need to get to the same place where therapeutic recreation is, because by 2050, the amount of people with dementia will double, and we're going to need to be more creative. So. I really see um, my research as well as the vision tied in with the American Music Therapy Association vision of research called 2025, um, where they are saying that the high priority areas for research are dementia, acquired brain injury, and I think that that's important for Canada as well. I think telehealth is here to stay, 
And while I don't think telehealth replaces what happens, there are opportunities here. There are opportunities for someone living in a rural part of Canada that can have music. So we need to embrace that opportunity. We need to get better at what we're doing. We've learned a lot, and I think we can improve our skills. I think we need to expand where we're working. If we look at the global uh, research, where music therapists are working, there's lots of places we aren't working in Canada where we could be, like the NICU, the neonatal intensive care unit. We could be in much more presence in forensic psychiatry, in, uh, in the prison system. Um, so in, even in the school system, that's much more prevalent. People are working in those areas much more so in the United States. And we need to do more research. The only way to advance our profession is to keep doing research. And the best research questions, I'll leave you with this, the best research questions come from your practice. They come from what's going on? Like, why did that work? Why didn't it work? You have to know how this works, right? So then we need a research study to figure out how to implement it so that it really can be effective. And please, when you're writing and publishing, tell us what kind of music you're using. It's very important that we become very clear in our writing so that we can advance the profession in terms of what is a music experience, what is music therapy, and what music Beautiful call to action to all of our listeners and so well put. You are an inspiration and I have to say, I, I don't know how you do it, like how you do it all, but thank you for doing it, Amy. We really appreciate it and so great to have your voice with us today. Thank you. Well, thank you for inviting and thank you to the both of you for all the work you do and for this uh, wonderful series, which features some great uh, speakers. And so we get to learn more about our community. It was amazing to meet with Dr. Amy today and learn about all her awesome research um, and just the studies that are going on globally. And uh, one of the things that stood out for me was when she was speaking about Gloria and her husband, Jack, uh, in the uh, palliative care and talking about their journey together and music as an autobiography. I thought that was just such an amazing idea to really get them working together and thinking about songs that represented uh, meaningful pieces of their relationship, you know, over time. And it's almost like a sense of purpose and this connected piece that they have between them. And another thing that uh, Amy mentioned was the fact that dying voices are often not taken into account. And so for me, not having worked in palliative care or hospice, um, not having any lived experience with this, I could see how that would happen, actually, because there's a, a lot of professionals working with a particular client, um, and perhaps they're not able to advocate for themselves or share their voice in a way uh, because of their illness or otherwise. And I just found that really fascinating to reflect on that. And then finally, about the five tasks in relationship completion and how that could be such a great way to ground the ending of someone's life and really say what you need to say in a structured way and connect to people um, using these guidelines that she mentioned writing a book about that's coming out soon. It's so fantastic that Amy is writing this book. I had no idea and I think for you know, all of the music therapists listening who are working with people nearing end of life and palliative hospice care, 
this just going to provide another wonderful resource to have guidelines. And I, I suspect they really will use those um, five tasks of, of biocs, you know, um, we, as music therapists, we are present with our, with the individuals that we, that we work with while they are, you know, preparing to, to die. And it is a very intimate space and um, can be really emotional, just like Amy was saying. So it's emotional to the point that it's too difficult to put into words or that denial is the, the way that um, the coping happens. And so what, what she's really highlighting is the way that music used with intention, because she was very, she's very intentional about using these interventions to help facilitate those very, very difficult conversations and intimate moments. And then, um, you know, creating songs that are wonderful metaphors and containers at times when there isn't a song that says what's, what's on Gloria's heart, you know, or what's on the individual's um, heart and mind to say, to say all that they have to say. And she's right. We don't necessarily capture those voices and share them, the voices of the people who are dying. And that's what she has um quite intentionally done in designing that research so that the voice, Gloria's voice, or the individual who's living this is, is heard and shared and, and witnessed. And that's so important. Thank you for joining us on the Canadian Music Therapy Podcast. To learn more about resources from the show, please visit beyondthestudio.ca. Thanks for listening.